0: Good morning, Hope Astoria. I'm so glad that we get to gather around God's Word as a church community. And I want to welcome family, friends, guests that are joining us. So glad you're tuning in. You're finding us in the middle of a sermon series titled, The Life That We Long For. And what we're examining in this series is the tension that we all experience, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. And this tension is between the life that we long to live inwardly, that we crave for a life that has fullness and flourishing versus the life that we actually live. And in this tension, we are examining how Jesus lived, his very practices, his rhythms, his daily routines, in order for us to explore and examine what it might look like for us to live as he lived, going from belief to imitation. I'm excited this morning because we have our very own Andrew Oliver bringing the word to us this morning. And if you have not heard Andrew Oliver before, but even more so, if you have not met him, you have truly missed out because Andrew is one of the most spectacular human beings I've ever met. He's an incredible follower of Jesus. And in addition to being on staff at our church and and creating the culture of worship and intimacy with God that we so enjoy I Hope Astoria, He also is the founder and the executive director of Do For One. Do For One is an incredible organization that pairs people with physical and cognitive disabilities with others that just for the sake of friendship, people that have disabilities often lead very isolated, marginalized lives. And through the work of Do For One and the friendships that they've been able to cultivate, people have been experiencing such joy and dynamic, loving friendships. Can't say enough about Do For One and the special place they hold in my heart as a parent of a child with special needs as well. But even before that, they truly captured the heart of our church as we just partnered with them and came alongside their vision and mission. And so anyway, without further ado, I'm really excited about Andrew bringing the word to us this morning within this series because I truly believe God has given a word to him to share with us. So open your Bibles, open your hearts, get ready to receive from God this morning as Andrew brings the word. God bless you.
1: Hello, everyone, and happy summer to you. I'm looking forward to seeing you all in person really soon. Let the countdown begin. Um, we are reaching near the end of a series called "The Life We Long For," and we're looking closely at the way that Jesus lived. We're looking at his priorities and his values and. His life rhythms, because our souls long for a different kind of life than we tend to live. And Christians believe that our souls ultimately long for a heart that beats like Jesus and a mind that thinks like Jesus. Today's sermon is titled Jesus and His Associates, and we're going to be looking at the kinds of people that Jesus associated with and what that teaches us. So who did Jesus spend time who did he befriend? Who did he put his reputation on the line for? You know, who did he defend? At a quick glance, we can say that he associated with the social outcast and the poor. He spoke with women. He spoke with women even in public, which is something that a man of any, of any social status in that time would have never done. He associated with lepers who were not only sick and dying, but hadn't been touched in years. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched them. But before looking further and, and looking at a passage that I, that that's on my heart, um, how about you? Who do you spend time with? What kinds of friends do you uh, do you have? Um, who are you willing to defend, even in public, even at the risk of your own reputation? What kinds of people come to your home? Whose home do you visit? And I realize that's an unfair question because we haven't had many people coming to our homes in the last year. But what about this? What group do you belong to? Nowadays, there seems to be these two distinct groups, and, and it's deeply affected the way that we can relate to each other. We're divided largely on political and cultural views, and this divide has become so toxic that it's not just about being part of a group that claims to have better ideas. And then we say, well, the other group just is a little misguided, but you know, it's become much more than that. It's become, I'm a part of team A and we're the right ones. We're the better ones. If only there were more people like us. And those on team B, those on team B are evil. That's how bad it's gotten. But here's the thing. The community that Jesus came to create is full of people from every background, so much so that when he came and when he when he did like spent time with people, he offended virtually everyone by who he associated with. And I think we're offended because, as we'll find, he associates with people who are culturally from all the wrong groups. And what makes his association so radical? And I think it's the reason why we often take offense and the the reasons why people in his time took offense is not just who he spent time with, but it's the ultimate message, this radical message of grace. Grace can be offensive. Let's look at Matthew 25, starting at verse 31, and then we'll pray and get into it. Matthew 25, verse 31 says, When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king replied, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now with joined hearts to receive something from your word. And we acknowledge that it's hard when we're all in remote locations. But Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fall upon every listener and that you would penetrate all of our hearts and that we would be transformed by who you associated with and ultimately the radical transformation that we experience through your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So the basic premise is that um, in this passage is that he compares Judgment Day to when the shepherd does this common task of separating sheep from goats. It was common that... That uh, uh, similar looking animals would get mixed in uh, with their flock. And so shepherds have to remove them uh, one by one so that they can keep the, sh- the, the sheep with the sheep. Um, so in this passage, we read that our action or inaction for one of the least of these brothers and sisters is action done or not done for Jesus himself. And that's how we can tell who belongs to God and who does not. But wait a second. <laughs> Didn't I just say it's all about grace? As in free and unmerited favor of God? Yes, absolutely. But hang in there. Uh, bear with me. Let's, um, let's, let's look at some of these verses a little closer. Let's start in verse uh, 34. Uh, so, verse 34 says Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me And in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. So those of you who are married or have children, um, you know, if someone messes with your spouse or kids, they're messing with you, right? And similarly, Those who bless your spouse or kids, are they not a blessing to you? I've been married for eight years now and I have a new sense of appreciation for Allie's family and her girlfriends who have been there for her through the thick and thin throughout our marriage. When they bless her, they bless me. And they bless our marriage. When people are kind to those closest to me in life, excuse me, when, when people are kind to, to those most that are closest to me, who are my friends, who are my family, things like that, um, they're, they're being kind to me, they're being a blessing to me. Jesus is saying, when you bless and provide for people living in poverty and, and, and the homeless, when you welcome the stranger like immigrants, refugees, outcasts of society like the disabled, elderly, or children, or the formerly incarcerated, and when you visit prisoners... You're doing it for me. When you bless them, you bless me. When you curse them, you curse me. Jesus deeply associates himself with them. They're his closest associates. So when you and I have an accurate view of Jesus, it becomes inseparable that we are also concerned for and kind to and provide for the poor. If you love me, you'll be kind to my wife. (laughs) If you're not kind to my wife, you're not kind to me. If you love Jesus, you'll be kind to those in need. You see that? I just want to make that really clear. Um, Let's look at at verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one, least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you've done to me. So there are three things that I want us to notice here. First of all, there's an element of surprise in this passage. Oh, those people that we served. Yes, of course, you know. Jesus says somewhere else, when you give to the needy, don't announce it. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, and you'll be rewarded by my Father in heaven. So a person who needs to be seen doing good deeds thinks, is someone recording this? I need to gather all the evidence that I can to prove that I'm a good person. But if we understand unmerited grace, then we understand that there isn't anything we can do to add to God's acceptance. But it's by knowing Jesus that we now bless those in need because we recognize that when we bless them, we bless Jesus. Second, notice the exact words here. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Um, I'll never forget when Dr. Craig Mays, who served as the executive director of the New York City Rescue Mission, serving the homeless all throughout the city, he pointed out that we often read this passage and gloss over the fact that Jesus actually says, whatever you did for one. One. Typically, we say it quickly, and we say, whatever you did for the least of these. But oftentimes, we overlook the one. Let me tell you why the one is so important. Kwame is a friend of mine. He's originally from Ghana. And he moved to New New York City, to the U.S., with hopes of finding work and making a life here. But soon after he got here, he got very sick and became severely disabled. He had nowhere to go. He had no family nearby. And he ended up in a hospital. And that's how I ended up meeting him. I took interest in his story in particular because... It was around the time that I had this tremendous burden for the disabled and I was uh, praying to God and seeking ways of starting uh, what is now Do For One. Um, Many of you know that I'm the founder and executive director of Do For One NYC. We serve people with disabilities, one person at a time, in one-to-one relationships. What we do is we match voluntary advocates to stand with and for people who are in situations like Kwame, like I just described. And so some time went by, and I introduced Kwame recently to, um, to Cecilia, who's a voluntary advocate, who showed great skill and knowledge of the service system here in the city, and also a tenacious personality. And I asked if she could um, help him get access to every resource possible in New York City. And not only that, but to offer friendship and to offer prayer support along the way. In just a few months, um, She's helped him cut down on monthly bills, get a new computer. So he's been connected on Zoom all throughout the winter months um, during COVID. Um, and she also helped uh, set up, get um, some, some, some food deliveries regularly, uh, weekly. So Jesus says, I was hungry. I was a stranger. And you provided for me. And see, there are many things that only a friend can do. And can only do it for one person at a time, you know? People's needs are often complicated, and they not only need that individual attention, but they need friendship along the way, too. They need mutual support along the way, and emotional support, and things like that. And Jesus invites us to be friends with him by being friends with the poor. See that? So this is what Cecilia says, um, uh, Cecilia says this, I- I'm just the passenger in the car helping to navigate, but Kwame is the driver. He's taking control of his life. And Kwame says, I see my life changing. I see myself changing. So we see how, just how transformative okay. this kind of thing can be. And oftentimes we uh, 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 have to be patient and, and see these kinds of things time. One of the things that that, uh, prevents many of us from responding to those in need is that uh, uh, we feel like we have to do something really big and reach thousands of people and be part of the next big thing. Social media and the 24-hour news cycle makes us aware of issues happening around the clock from all over the world. And to a certain extent we should be informed and some are called to tackle these bigger issues. But what I want us to do today is pause and see that in one of the most important passages in the Gospels, Jesus says, whatever you did for one. And at Do For One, which is where we got the name, clearly, from Matthew 25, at Do For One, we see time and time again that this method is effective. One person with disability started having regular conversations uh, over Zoom with a new voluntary advocate. And his mother told us that her son is eating better and sleeping better, and that she hasn't seen him this happy in years. Another man living alone in Manhattan tells us that his depression has completely lifted since having had conversations with his match. So Dupre One's way of responding to the brokenness of the world, the violence of the world, the racism of the world is to say, so you're concerned about injustice. Our invitation is learn to be friends with one of the oppressed people that you're most concerned about. Hear their story, share your story with them, have meals with them, solve problems with and for them, protect them, pray for them, be with them, invite them in to be a genuine part of your life, and you also will be transformed in the process. Ben, who is on the right of this picture, is the voluntary advocate, and he says this about his relationship with Devin. It's mutual. It's a two-way street. I feel like I'm learning and blessed just as much as I'm being any sort of blessing to Devin. And so a third point that is worth quickly pointing out is that he says, Truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. If we assume that by brothers and sisters, he means other believers, then we can also assume that Jesus has come to create a new community, which does not exclude the homeless, the immigrant, those who are vulnerable, like children, elderly, or um, the disabled. You see evidence that the early church took the words of Jesus in Matthew 25 directly and seriously. So in the early church, care was uh, freely given and it was often in people's homes or in hospices within valued parts of the towns and villages. Um, for example, in middle, even, even up to medieval uh, Europe, it was overrun with thousands upon thousands of hospices. And they were often called Palaces of the Sick and altogether these helping forms were highly integrated into the value parts of society.
0: The way that they lived
1: and served people in radically personal ways, Christians are not, was a witness of hope to the outside world. Um, Do For One grabs inspiration from this idea and hosts potlucks and other events in order to expand Do For One's vision into a supportive community. Um, here's an image of pre-pandemic times at legal outreach. <laughs> back in the good old days, um, when we could meet in person, um, uh, we are we see ourselves as an extension or an extended arm of the church, doing the work uh, for what I consider to be some of the least of these in our city, in order to realize this vision that Jesus sets out to create, um, people from every background being together in community, where it's not just about putting in volunteer hours, or anything like that, but it's to actually welcome the stranger into the life of our everyday community. And here's a picture of our most recent picnic on Roosevelt Island, which we'll be doing more and more throughout the summer months. If you're interested, uh, let me know. I would love to talk to you more about how you can um, get more involved and even uh, come visit us uh, at one of those picnics. So imagine if we lived like the early church today, and that's essentially due for one's invitation to you and I. And I'm so thankful for Hope Astoria for being our spiritual home. And we've received so much love and prayer support from so many of you. And, and many of you have been involved um, on the ground as well. And I would love to share more stories with you, hopefully someday soon. Um, but let's get back to the heart of this message today. Um, as I close, probably the most famous parable of Jesus is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Many of you are probably familiar with it. And in it, um, we can go even deeper into our understanding of what Jesus is teaching us about loving the least of these. Jesus tells this parable after an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So this Jewish expert in the law uh, says to Jesus, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds to these Jewish leaders, and he tells This famous parable of the Good Samaritan, where we see a wounded Jewish man lying half-dead on Jericho Road. So religious leaders, also Jewish, see the wounded man and they walk right past him. So there's the the priest and the Levi, right? And They walk past him, they, they pay no mind. But then we see a Samaritan reach out across societal and religious barriers to help the man and to provide for the material, the physical, and the economic needs. Of this person. What must I do to inherit eternal life? All in response to that question, isn't that interesting? But see, the story would carry a different meaning, still a good meaning and a helpful meaning, but it would be different if it was just a story about a person with certain privileges who stops to help a poor and oppressed person, right? That's a great story and we need stories like that. And the person with greater privileges would be right to stop and help, absolutely. But here's the thing, if you're like me and you're on the front lines of justice concerns right now in some kind of way, leading a movement, leading a nonprofit, volunteering, being a part of some kind of you know um, uh, activism of some kind, one of the dangers that you and I have in passages like Matthew 25 or even the parable of the Good Samaritan Is that instead of examining our own hearts and our own motives, we're simply going to swift right through it and say, see, I told you so. And then use those verses to just simply justify our own causes and to sort of feel righteous and and elevate ourselves above other people. But here's the thing. See, the Samaritans and Jewish people in that time, they hated each other. They were at each other's throats and the Samaritans saw Jewish people as their oppressor, the Samaritan who walks by could have easily thought, this person deserves to be lying half dead on the side of the road. But nonetheless, he helps the man. So another meaning is not only to help those in need, but Jesus also says, love your enemies. But the final point yet, as I end here, is that Jesus puts the listener of this parable. The expert in the law, perhaps you and me, not in the seat of the helper, but in the seat of the wounded man, half dead, lying on the side of the road. Remember at the beginning of this message, I shared that uh, uh, there seems to be these two distinct groups that are tearing each other apart and we're at each other's throats all the time from different uh, political and cultural views on the way things ought to be. And the root of this problem is the belief that my team is superior to your team. But at the heart of the gospel message is to first realize that we are the oppressor. We're the sinful one. We're the wounded one. We're the helpless and needy one on the side of the road, needing to be rescued and forgiven by Jesus. Whatever thing other than God that you try to use to justify yourself and elevate yourself above others will control your life. It will beat you up. It will fill you with fears at night. And over the years, you will find yourself in the road, spiritually dying. And what Jesus did for you and for me is he entered into our road, so to speak, right? Where we are broken and sinful and wounded and hardened. And he reached across societal, religious, whatever, all these barriers to help us. No matter who you are, he is willing, if you are willing. The only one who can break us free from being controlled by all of these things, even seemingly good things, and even good things, only Jesus can rescue us. He's the only one who knows what it's like to be perfectly on top with all the power in the heavens and on the earth, And he's also the only one who knows what it's like to be perfectly on the bottom with absolutely no power at all. He can relate with everyone. He has compassion on everyone. And he's willing to have mercy on everyone. Jesus came to surrender all of this power to show us the life that you and I long for. And he associated with the poor and the outcast. But he also associated with the tax collectors who were the wealthiest people in society. And they were hated because they profited from collaborating with Rome. But he nonetheless talked to them too. He showed special concern for women and children, despite even the apostles' belief that they were not worth Jesus' time. And lastly, Jesus hung there on a criminal's cross to justify us. There he was. And he prayed to God that he would forgive the officials who were crucifying him. And he told the thief on the cross next to him that, he'll see, that, that, that he would see him in paradise. So you see, where we stand on political and cultural issues right now is not merely as important as where we stand on questions like this. Do we really know and understand what God saved us from? Do we really believe that God loves and can forgive everyone from all of their sin? All kinds of people and all kinds of sin. Do we believe that the grace of God can reach them and transform their life because of what Jesus has done for all of us? If we can begin to believe this and understand this, then we can do justice. And we will have this Peculiar tendency as the body of Christ to be most concerned for the ones that our culture hates and casts out and deems useless and unforgivable. Whatever the person or group may be in a given time, we will have a tendency to have most concern for all of those kinds of people, whatever kinds of people they happen to be in our time. Loving the person, and here's the point, the challenge And the call of Jesus is to love the person who offers nothing to you. No financial gain, no social gain, no street cred, nothing. Jesus says, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. That's what separates the sheep from the goats. And it's the evidence that you and I understand God's saving grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you, God, the way that you lead us back to Jesus. Um, Sometimes it goes in these big circles, and these roundabout ways, but at the end of the day, Lord, we realize that you saved us um, and and that you you love us no matter where we come from. God, I pray that you would unite the church, especially as we enter into post-pandemic times, um, may we keep the, 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 the important thing central, Lord God. And um, may we fall in love with you evermore, Lord God. Let us be worshipers of you. In Jesus' name.